Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, with or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. I, and I can't believe today I'm talking to a guy I've never met, but I've heard a lot of stories. Um, today we got Lane Jackson and what an honor it is. Um, and I'm not just trying to like throw that first sentence out there to get people to listen to this. Obviously I'm trying to do that because I think that there's a lot of power behind this thing. Um, but Lane Jackson is, was part of the modern day Navy football turnaround team. All right. Uh, he played, you know, beside Bobby Mack and, uh, my inner circle group of guys that, when we kind of started this thing about a year and a half ago, um, he was our coach at Naps. Um, so he kind of helped set that standard and playing right next to you, you know, we got to hear the stories. Um, yeah. and, and it's just really fun to get you on here today. And I get goosebumps sometimes for every now and then for an episode. This is one of them. <laughs> um, talk about a tough, and there's a lot of those, themes throughout the memories and I'm guaranteeing the story intelligent guy with the burning desire to win uh to prove folks that we are capable of more um in going through those memories I I had to write this down in your intro was uh, a guy shows up with a nasty disposition at the right time and the right place um not only do Lane and that's my son's name by the way yeah, uh cool. do he and i share the that common bond as former inside navy linebackers which um you know obviously i'm pretty biased to that position and especially for navy football because there's a sense of pride there um while our our paths diverged after the playing days lane went into the navy seals um i took the marine corps route um and we're both now serving in a manufacturing space so that's pretty awesome. Um, now a project manager at USF Fabrication. It's a family-owned business uh, and has a, over a century of history. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you also serve as a high school football coach, coaching linebackers, uh, passing some of the tools from your tool belt down to the next generation of linebackers. So, uh, you know, whether you're a Navy football, you know, person like Lane and myself, veteran, uh, or in the manufacturing industry, uh, anyone seeking some inspiration from someone who's overcome a lot of life challenges, buckle up, because this is Lane Jackson. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Going nice. in. Hey, hey, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to write. You know, I thought that was pretty <laughs> good, too. Uh, trying to have some fun with this. Um, so the memory section. Um, this is something that's kind of developed early i didn't do this all the time but i started doing it and um it's been fun um so the first four memories are from people from my class era and i don't know if you've met them all um but they knew you so first one's uh ram Vela from episode nine um yeah. 
he's he just said, Man, I've heard so many stories about that guy, and he was a dog. Um, Ose Asante, yeah, he was our, our center. He also went to Naps, so did Ram. Um, episode 10, he said, same thing, because we're in a group text. He's like, hey, same, man. Um, he and Bobby Mack were the cornerstones of what Navy football became. Um, and then he said some other stuff about, you know, how things are going now. But um, Cam Marshall. What was that? What did he say? He said, <laughs> he said, it's not what it is now, which is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, got to love him. Hey, um, we held strong for like 15, 17 years of, of, of winning. Hey, it's a cycle. Yeah. Right? It's a cycle. Um, so next one is Cameron Marshall. So he was my first episode. Um, he was also episode number 54. So Because I wanted to, you know, do it again with him after, you know, going through some stuff and see how things changed. And so that's why I did two with him so far. Um, he said... And I did this exact same thing. Um, he said, I used to watch his 04 highlights. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can look up Navy football 2004 and get that a um, uh, long, long way together song. Can't remember the name of it. Oh, really? I got to do that. I haven't done that. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, you got to. Uh, 2004 Navy football highlights uh, of you guys because it was it was that turn, you know, that first yeah. ten win season. And, um, anyways, he said I'd watch that on repeat in the hotel room to get pumped up before leaving on a hotel bus before games. That's, um, that's fucking cool. It is right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't want to. Um, real quick. I, yeah, we, we were the first ten win my senior class, but I don't want to discount the year before me. Uh, because because that they had a bunch of dogs in that class too. Uh, nice. The O three class or O four graduating class. The year before we were eight and five, right? So that was really our first turnaround, right? Um, yeah. My freshman year, we were O and ten, then two and ten, and then eight and five our junior year, and they had a. A, a great group of uh, of dudes there too, man. Like nice. um, Eddie. Carter. Yeah, I mean it doesn't happen overnight, right? Yeah, yeah. So it yeah. It, it was uh, it it was it took a few years. Obviously, Coach PJ Paul Johnson was was the catalyst, but um, you know it it was it was it was us. It wasn't it wasn't PJ alone, right? So yeah. Um, it was it was those bunch of dudes, man. Ralph Henry, Benny Matthews, Eddie Carthen, Shalimar, um, Todd, uh, Shane Todd. Nice, freaking great guys. Tough, tough yeah. Dudes. So Bobby Mack used to say, uh, he, well, he taught us about the term FIBU, <laughs> which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Cool. Um, Continuing on, on Cam's memories, um, he said, I used to get jacked up watching him and Bobby make, make, making huge plays um, in that 04 defense. And last one is a perfect example of a guy who was so big time that everybody knew him, even though a few of us never interacted with him. Right. 
All right. Well, that's kind of cool. I remember watching you guys play, and uh, it was fun watching. And, and I didn't know any of that, that, that you guys, you know, looked up to us like that. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, huge carrot. Um, what when I say huge carrot, something to pursue. Um, it was, uh, uh, I, I even do that to this day. I'm like, all right, where do I want to be? Who's doing it? Who do I need to, you know, learn from? And at that time, that's, that was you guys for sure. So, um, next memory is Clint Sovey. So episode 20, uh, on wearing your number. Number 44. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He said, uh, everybody compared me to Lane Jackson. And, and Clint's like, I'm not freaking Lane Jackson. All right. <laughs> he said, Paul Johnson came down the locker room and said, put Clint in locker 44. He's got number 44. Uh, both of you guys, similar body styles, you know, 190, maybe 200 pounds. Well, definitely yeah. Clint is 190, you know, soaking wet. He was even um, smaller than me. He was smaller than you. And I was yeah. small. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think, and he didn't write this, I wrote it, was similar body language and playing style, though, like out of a cannon. Um, Clint said, I don't think I ever matched his tenacity, um, but it was an absolute honor to be compared to Lang Jackson. So he also said... Uh, South Florida football is weak. What? LOL. Yeah. Jackson. We just, <laughs> our, our, our high school team, my high school team, my coach just beat a Jacksonville team. He's from Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Somewhere up north, right? Yep. Yeah. We just beat uh, Mandarin in the state title. Nice. Really? State yeah. win. Yeah. That's really cool. And you're coaching that. Linebackers. Yeah. Actually, right. I got, I got a, uh, give a shout out to one of our linebackers. He's, he's, I was kind of blessed to, to, to be able to coach him. He, my, my best linebacker are starting Mike, uh, number yep. one defensive player in 4M and all of all the whole state of Florida. He's incredible. Nice. He's incredible. Nice. Great, what makes great. him incredible? What, it, what, what? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, well, obviously he's talented, uh, way better athlete than all of us. Um, but he's, he's small. He's like five, nine, two ten, maybe two fifteen. but he, he's just, he's got, he's a competitor, man. That's what it takes. Like he's one of those dudes that every single rep, every single practice, he's trying to get better a hundred percent all out every single rep. Um, and it shows on the field and he's just, he's an incredible player, but anyway, I was kind of bragging. That's good. No, very, very proud of that. Even though you know he does all the work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's fun. Like, um, I've also learned uh, over the past, you know, five years that bragging is good, especially when they're on your team. Like, that's like and like the best thing ever. Actually, is when you when you have somebody like that that, that you're working with and they just become awesome. You know, so that's great. All right. So that's the, uh, the young bucks. We'll get into three more, um, guys and memories. Um, all three in your backer core, um, from your years there at the uh, Naval Academy. Um, first one is jumbo. 
Um, some words to describe Lane that come to mind. Tremendous athlete, competitor, leader, tough, football tough, also Navy SEAL tough. He also said, I think he said fourth quarter drills were harder than buds. Um, right, right. Or is I, you know, it, you know, as I was going through buds, everybody, you know, whenever I came back to, you know, or talked to somebody in Navy, you know, what's it like, you know, and, and, and for the, I don't know, about halfway through first, first phase, I, I kept saying, oh, no, you know what? Fourth quarters were tougher. Fourth quarters were tougher. Because, uh, you know, when Paul Johnson, his first fourth quarters, when he came in, that was, that set the bar, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the toughest thing that we had ever been through. And um, yeah. it took a while. Buds, Buds eventually overcame it. Um, okay. Gotcha. And I have a question more about that. I'm like, hey, what was your real story with Buds? Because us guys that didn't go Navy SEALs that, uh, you know, watch all the Navy SEALs movies is, you know, even in those documentaries, there's always a way to frame the video or frame how it is. I want to get your real story of Buds here a little bit, if if you don't mind. All right. Cool. Um, He also said loyal and great friend. He led by example. He was always prepared for the games. We roomed together, and before games, uh, I'm assuming roomed together before yeah. the game. Yeah, okay, while you're traveling or in yeah, the hotel. Yeah, he was my travel roomie. Nice. Um, he was always studying his assignments and the game plan, always trying to figure out what, what that edge was on his opponents. Um, he was always someone you could count on. He'd step up. Uh, when a play needed to be made. He was someone that would make you better on the football field and also off the field. So those are the, the Jumbo comments. Jumbo said that? Jumbo said that. Yeah. <laughs> Next guy, TJ Costello, also from the backer core. Um, y'all first met at NAPS. Yeah. And for the group, NAPS is the prep school that you go to uh, coming out of high school, before you go to the Naval Academy, Newport, Rhode Island, it's kind of like a red shirt year. Um, and you showed up with a nasty Miami full protruding from the chin strap type of beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you went Navy SEALs. Uh, okay, <laughs> got it. Uh, he said that first day indoctrination in Newport, uh, that first day was like a meet and greet, and Coach Browse. Um, the, Coach Browse is the strength trainer there in Newport, Rhode Island. He pulls all the football guys into their position groups, and TJ's like, these dudes are huge. Except that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at you uh, in the linebacker core. He said, Lane 100% got me through naps. Um, helps me with my coursework. He named a a software system at the time that was required to uh, you know, do your homework. There Falcon. you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, that, that you helped him with that. And y'all lived across the hall. And he also said, you know, great human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So last memory until I open up to you to, to tell a story, yeah. but the, yeah, uh, I remember walking up to, to that huddle there that we had and where all the linebackers were meeting. And yeah. I, I, I was saying the same thing, like, 
holy cow like <laughs> how, how am i going to start over these guys <laughs> like yeah all of them all of them were were big and then I'm like all right i better bring it i better bring it but uh it worked out it worked out yeah, and, you and, and it, it awesome. ended up being me and tj starting and all the big guys uh they didn't play but, hey speed wins it's not about you know I, and I learned that after the body by browse program at the, you know, on you had the off season. Oh yeah. I had browse too. No, he didn't, he didn't retire yet. Um, I got up to like two thirty-five. I was yoked. I was, you know, probably pushing the most weight probably that I ever did, but I was slow. And when we started doing those Z races on the basketball court in the off season, I was just like puffing and puffing, uh, never got back to that weight. Thankfully. <laughs> so all right last memory uh bob mclaren bobby mack um episode 39 guess uh your senior year sparring partner um at the inside linebacker position lane is the definition of a leader and a navy football player lane's coming out party notre dame versus navy his sophomore year he arrived that day and solidified his spot as a starter for his career. Remember that? Yeah. What happened? Absolutely. Oh man. Uh, well, that game was a great game. Fuck. Uh, let's see. Well, I had started a couple games before then, and but I I hadn't had like a like a really great game. But that was my first really good game. I just made a lot of tackles. Um, it, one thing about that game, it was it was a very close game. I remember Kyle uh, Eckel. He yeah, I want to get him on here too. Some points yeah, you got to get him. Oh, I, I got some names for you, by the way. I want awesome. I, that I would love to hear on the show. I want to hear it, but um, maybe at the end. Don't don't forget to remind me. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah, Kyle, he blew out his ACL in the first half. And then I don't remember how many yards he had, but he played the rest of the game <laughs> with one ACL. And we, we took him to the to the very end, and they won on uh, they won on the last freaking play, which I consider my fault. I will never never forgive myself for that. Um, Why? What happened? Well, what happened? Actually, well, the play. The, the drive before, they were going in, and they were on, like, the one-yard line. And uh, they were – they gave it – they had a big old fullback. Uh, I think his uh, Powers Neal or something like that, his name was. But um, they they just give it to them, like, three times in a row. And on the third one, uh, I hit them at the goal line as hard as I possibly could with my head down. And uh, he scored. But I remember trying to get up, and I and I my body wouldn't move, so and I was like momentarily paralyzed there for a little bit, and so I was like that was a scary part. And then eventually I was able to roll over, and then then I got up and I was fine. I don't I don't know. I just it was uh, I thought it was fine. But I wanted to get back in the game, obviously, on the next series, which ended up, I think, being the last series. Um, and I, they, 
they said, are you okay? I said, I'm okay, let's go. And they put me back in, but I don't, I don't, I probably wasn't 100% there. Like I missed that play they scored on. They threw a, um, they threw uh, number three on a seam route. Is there two or three? But it was my guy that I was supposed to jam. And then we were in cover two, and I didn't jam him. I let him run right by me, which I never do. Um, but I did that play, and he just split our safeties. I didn't get enough time for Josh to get over. And he caught the ball and took it to the house. Freaking beat us on that on that play. And gotcha. then, uh, so, yeah, I had a great game. I made a lot of plays, but I didn't make the play to count it. Understand. I can never cover. Buddy Green will tell you that. Um, gotcha. Let's see where we leave off. Um, all right. Next one from, from Bobby Mack was that you were always prepared. He defined preparation as the key to success. Examples. Um, you personally witnessed you organize a fishing tackle box for hours, I guess, before y'all were going out. Or no, I'd still do that. <laughs> hey, when, the, when we're on the clock, we're only on the clock on that water for so long, I need to know where everything is. I did yeah. the same thing. It's like, Dude, don't I, waste I a cast. a nut about organizing my tackles. It's insane. I got the yes. label maker. Now, I've even taken it to another crazy level. But nice. Bobby should see my shed now. Now I have a shed like all decked out with fishing gear <laughs> nice and labeled up um he said that you were the only one we had to wait on to create a full menu of audibles in playstation for ncaa football <laughs> that's funny i forgot about that uh he also said in the hours in the game plan slash film um studying and uh always in the right position on the gridiron uh guy has a heart of a lion undersized small inside backer in the ncaa um 200 pounds soaking wet so he gave you 200 uh a fierce competitor that you know wouldn't take no for an answer and wasn't afraid to call out his teammates who faltered at times uh, to state you know of of an average performance and when i read that i was thinking back in my memory bank of the michael jordan series yeah right mj right hey step up let's go i uh i've i've been lucky enough to to be a part of like two turnarounds of programs football programs one in high school and then in navy and i could tell you that i mean that's that's what it takes is is player accountability you yep. um any team you, it's got to be player led you know and that's what we were and that's how we turned it around um it, there's no other way i mean in our eyes like like we we didn't play for coach johnson like coach johnson coached for us you know what i mean yeah. And and he'd tell you the same thing. That's that's what I give Coach Johnson so much credit for because that's the way he wanted it. And he was an expert at putting 
at creating that. Uh, yep. put, did you play for Coach, uh, Coach DJ? I did. He left um, my after, I guess, sophomore year, going into junior year. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sophomore so junior. Yep. I remember, you know, the first one of the first things that he said to us, like, y'all, you want to keep getting your ass whooped? Keep practicing like that, you know, like, yep. and and every time he talked to us, it was always, it was always you. I, I guess I was more used to coaches saying we, us, but he drew a very distinct line between the coaches and the players and made it very clear that him and his staff were bringing their A game. So if you're not going to win, it's on you. And uh, and he made no excuses for us. Undersized, didn't matter. Um, and uh, he just did a great job of that. I, I, I try to be like that when I coach. But um, yeah. He, that's that's what we were. You guys, have you seen the Swamp Kings? I did. Oh yes. my God! Every brother in the brotherhood has to watch that. If you if you yes, haven't seen that, I agree. Swamp Kings, like if you don't have goosebumps, the entire freaking what was it? The second, first or second one, whether where where Siler or I forget his name already, but um, the linebacker, the yes. Yeah. And he's talking about hitting dudes in the face if if they were showed up late yes. and put their feet down. I mean, that's how. Yeah. We so he was, he was yeah. the uh, the senior during the turnaround, right? And he had that mentality, and he really he was that guy. He was the MJ um, of that that kind of turn there. And there was a younger guy, Skikes, I think, Sykes, that didn't quite get it yet. And oh yeah, yeah the. Uh... Uh no it was uh oh, I'm not gonna remember his name I won't even the CT Brandon I'm not gonna remember. Brandon Spikes Brandon Spikes it was yeah. Spikes yeah and he kind of like turned his head at it in the beginning he's like I'm I'm the big I'm a boss like I'm walking into this I got the talent I'm not getting the time but he didn't get the time until he figured well, out yeah, yeah. Th that's the thing I I am a believer of like you don't need the entire team to be all you know the the ultimate competitor you just need like a core and the rest will fall into place and follow suit like and yeah. but at navy we didn't even have a core we had a bunch of dudes we had a bunch of competitors and uh that that's what it took man i mean and paul yeah. johnson it he if if you cared about anything other than winning he ran you off so and we yep. loved him for it and i mean he literally ran you off <laughs> I would say I also appreciated that about Paul Johnson. I like, you know, working for someone like that. I like, yeah. you know, on a team with a coach like that, like that just pushes you to get better. And uh, for that, and, I appreciate And we, we loved him for it, right? We didn't want anybody on the team that, that didn't care about anything other than winning. So yep. goodbye. We're if this happy. doesn't fit, get off the bus, right? All right. Cool. Uh, a few more things out of Bobby, and then I turn it over to you. Tell a story. Um, so Bobby said, "You know, guy is different, disciplined, and driven. Uh, love, love for the game, love for the grind, love for his brothers. Playing next to him was the highlight of my career." So that closes out the memory yeah. section. Uh, I say the same thing. I say the same thing about Bobby playing next to him. 
It was a privilege. And, uh... All of those guys, man. But Bobby, playing next to him was like, nobody could ever take that away from me. No doubt. And I'm also appreciative that he was our coach in Naps. Glad he spent that extra year at Naps. Talk about different. Well, you already did the podcast. Bobby is is Bobby Mack, man. They broke the mold when they made Bobby Mack. Yeah, the the only time I can get a hold of that guy is you know usually around four thirty in the morning. <laughs> while he's you know doing his before his he sprints. starts his wind sprints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no doubt. All right, so I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us the Lane Jackson story and okay. we'll go from there. Um, let's see. I mean, my. I, you're gonna have to ask me a question. I don't. I don't think my story's too in, uh, interesting. I like. I like uh, asking people how they grew up. I think that's oh. a big part of you know what landed you at Navy in the first place. So it's always fun to explore. All right. Tell us a little bit more about how you grew up. I grew up uh, in Miami, Florida. Um, I had a good childhood. Uh, just. Uh, played, I had a great neighborhood where you played outside the whole time. And, and, you know, I don't know when I got hyper competitive, but, uh, it happened early and, uh, played on a good uh, football team. And I knew I wanted, you know, at that age, you think that you're going pro, but I, I knew, um, I either wanted to go pro or I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So, and then Navy came knocking. So I said, oh, well, okay. <laughs> That's like best nice. of both worlds. One or so you other. already knew that you wanted to go Navy SEALs. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Because I, yeah, it, that looks so cool, right? <laughs> and and you love the challenge. The, can you do it or not, right? Yeah, for sure. But, uh Let's see. Went to went to Naps. I chose to go to Naps. I had the option. I wanted a year to get bigger and faster. Um, very glad I did. That's where I met uh, two of the best friends I'll ever have in my life, Bobby and TJ. Um, and a bunch of other friends that that uh, that you never forget. Like, oh man, I, Jerry Wayne Irons. Gosh, he's one of those dudes that that you never talk to, but you could call up and like I would feel like I could just talk to him like like nothing, no time has passed, you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean that's how that's how the brotherhood is. Like I'm I'm the worst, I'm the the worst at like social media and staying connected. Uh, I don't I don't have any I don't go on Facebook or LinkedIn or anything like that. But honestly, all these guys, I feel like I could just call them up right now and talk to them and chat them up and like nothing ever happened, you know? Nice. Uh, got so much love for for everybody. Uh, who, Tunde, who, were, who? Tunde was in the uh, I missed a memory. Go ahead. Speak, speaking of him, I actually he's he's coming up on an episode. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> so you got to shoot me some memories. And uh, I'll give you just... some right now. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, man. Uh, you might uh, check he, off this memory I was about to throw he, out there. So. He was so strong. He was the strongest dude I have ever seen, right? And uh, I believe it. At Naps, we go and we're doing bench. We're doing bench, and I was I was good bencher. So I was competing with him for like I was trying to be you know the best bencher on the team, and he was the other thing, the other guy. And you know we put up three fifteen. I put it up ten times. Goodness. And then he gets up there and he he puts on three fifteen and he does it ten times. And they're like, oh all right, well you guys tied. I'm like, no, we didn't tie. Did you see what <laughs> he? There are no ties. He basically he didn't he had never lifted before like he didn't know how to lift so he like grabs the bar almost like for the first time and it wasn't the first time but like he just he grabs the bar at like where he puts his wrist like almost like where his nipples are like he it's like a so, close grip he close gripped three fifteen ten times like goodness. easy and and then once he once he figured out how to lift. Dude, he 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 was so strong. Um, yeah, Darius Terry was our class guy like that, and he was yeah. the smallest guy on the team. Yeah, we had uh, C. Harris. Uh, you got? Have you heard that name? It brings a bell. C. Harris was this little bowling ball of a of a B back, and uh, he was the shortest guy in NCAA. I think he was like like five one or something or five flat he was really short really stocky but incredibly strong he would uh put so many bars on or so many plates on the bar like that it was looked like it was going to snap i think he had like six on each side and yep. he would he would just rep out squats until like that's how darius was yep. they just had to tell him to stop like you just keep going like he could just squat 600 pounds for like it was incredible but anyway um tunde so going on once tunde learned he he used to and then you know me and tj and all the linebackers you know we're all skinny and and we're trying to get the bet we got the best technique right to try to maximize the weight that we can get up and we're power cleaning i don't remember what it was like three something but and we look over and, and you just see Tunde, no technique, doing the same weight we're doing, but he's just like reverse curling it. <laughs> you know, like a power clean. Yep. He, he, he just like stands up like all slow and just go Wah, like with 315. Yeah. Uh, Muscles it. I remember I rooming with him. I, I When I was in the teams in, in Virginia Beach, I roomed with him for like a year or something. Um, and he'd come back like one he'd come back one day so oh, i just got got done li got done lifting I'm like oh yeah you know how, how much you lift it's like well these these jokers were messing around i had to show them what's up i'm like well, what would you lift um he said i would just put on four plates how, how many times you do it he's like i stopped at 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah after like two years of, of not working out yeah he was a monster he has that, yeah he has and, that then, and then really he finally i was you know it sounds stupid to say you're proud of him but i really was uh but he really put it all together his senior year 
Um, yeah. He he was kind of he was good, but not not really good before that. But his senior year, and you, I think you heard the story already. It's part. I think you already heard it on here. But the whole thing with Coach Johnson in the paper, like said, uh, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane one day, and then he, <laughs> he Tunde read that, and Uh-oh. he. All we knew is that he like there was like a a whiteboard in, in the weight room and there was a hole in it. Like you just heard him scream and yeah, and then punch a hole through, and we're like, oh, he must have read the article. <laughs> nice. And uh, apparently he had it out with PJ, but he put it all together after that article. He he yeah. was a, he was a changed man. There's there's something to that whole. PJ leadership style that yeah. works sometimes. But he was <laughs> Tune Day was single handedly the reason why our defense worked. Like nice. you know, we were yeah. He, forward, so right? you anchored for, the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, so the nose tackle for the group that doesn't know, like uh, who we're talking about is Bubba Tune Acting Bimmy. Uh, oh, we call him Bimmy, Coach Bimmy. I think y'all call him Tunday. Um, but yeah, the guy was anchor in the you know that whole three four scheme that we ran the whole time we were there you got to have a solid nose the nose makes the defense and he was that guy so um the memory that i miss was when bobby bobby asked me to to ask you if you recall um when you called you know bimmy out and preseason camp for lying on the field that you knew he had so much potential. Well, yeah, everybody knew it. Yeah. The guy was a monster. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, back into the story. Um, what what took you to Naps? Like, who recruited you? Uh, oh, um, okay. So what took... Even okay, so I I was kind of like on the fence, you know, should I go to Navy or not? You know, I had an offer from Harvard. Um, Goodness, my 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 high school coach had previously coached there, so he was like, yeah, he got me in to Harvard, but I wanted to go to the biggest school I possibly could, and Navy was the biggest school. Um, I thought I had a couple preferred walk-ons, which I had supreme confidence in myself. I felt like I could have gone anywhere. And that I wanted, but whether that was right, correct or not, probably not. Didn't we thought, all back then? I yeah. thought so. So, um, but I remember Coach Ware, uh, he gave me that book, uh, Civil War. Have you read that one? John yep. Feinstein? Yes, sir. So that's what locked me in, man. Once I read that book and I had goosebumps every other page, like, okay, this is, this is where I need to go. Um, yes. And that would be great, by the way, if you could get some of the heroes from that book on here. Yeah, I just, those, those are about... those are my heroes, man. Joe Speed. Uh, yes, Jimmy, I, Jimmy I don't have his contact there. info. I would reach out to him. Shoot, I might have it. I saw him at a at a Miami game when he was coaching Georgia Tech one time, and he gave me his phone number. Nice. I'll, don't I'll need it right you. now. We'll get, yeah, yeah, we'll I'll, get it later. I'll send it to you. I, if great. I still have it, I should find. He it. was our coach at Naps, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, he he was a badass, no doubt. Um, all right, so then I I read that book and and said, okay, that's that's where I'm going. And thank God, I 
you know, I met, gained entrance to, you know, the best brotherhood there is. And uh, the rest is, you know, then the time at Navy. Um, wouldn't replace it for anything in the world. Um, graduated. I got to do TAD. I hung around for a little bit. Uh, Hold on one second. I want to. I want to bring you back uh, during that Navy time and ask: Do you have a good coach story? I bring that up in in episodes just out of template purposes because it's fun for me. <laughs> yeah, like a good PJ saying, or like I remember this time when this coach did this thing. Um. Yeah, I mean, there was the 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 black. Uh, the Black Wednesday, Black Friday. Uh, Black Friday that that, yeah. that Beardo started. I love that episode by Beardo. <laughs> by the way, I, that, yeah. he he was so interesting. Like I haven't he talked is. to him in years. He was very interesting. Um, but there was that. I, I don't know. I feel like you probably heard him all, all already on this podcast. Did you have a favorite PJ quote that yeah. we don't know well, about? I, you know, you know about it. But my favorite was. Uh, if you ever find yourself on the field, call a timeout because somebody fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that's good. Yeah, that's how good. about a how about a favorite game? Was it that Notre Dame game? No, no, my favorite game by far would have been uh, Air Force. Air so Force. We up there. We won twenty four twenty one, and uh, that was a nail biter. We we won on the last. They night. always are. Yeah. They always are. And every now and then I'll get a wild hair and I look at the spread at the Navy Air Force game and whoever's favored on the high end, I always go with the other one just because I know it's <laughs> going to be close. There's, the emotions one. just change for that one. The what? The emotions. Oh, yeah. No. Like, I, I got nothing but love for Army. I, I, I Nothing but love and respect. I love, you know, I... I'd see I'd see players when I was overseas that played at Army that that they had that really good linebacker number four. Uh, he he was a junior when I was a senior. I saw he ended up being an Army Ranger. I got to work with him overseas. I got awesome. no, nothing but uh, love for Army guys, but Air Force guys. I, I, I think, you know it's something about there's a different type of cockiness to Air Force. Yeah, back then. yeah, yeah. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, we that was a hell of a game. I remember Aaron Polanco rolling out and hitting Marco Nelson on that long thirty-something yard. It was, I think, it was fourth down, and uh, put us in field goal range. I had a great game that game. Bobby Jeremy Chase had a great game. I, I had like tw that was my best game ever. I had twenty-four tackles. Jeremy Chase is another one I want to get on here. Yeah, he's a good dude. Um. While we're in the season, before we get into your your transition to uh, the seals, is uh, the two thousand four Emerald Bowl. All right, oh, so man. that was was it the first bowl game in a long time? No, we had the first bowl game we won. In first a long bowl time. game that was won. In a long yeah, time. because we played the year before in the Houston Bowl and got our tails whooped by Wes Welker and company. That was when we played Mike Leach, we played Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, and Mike Lee. I like Leach. I love. I liked. Him. He yeah. was he was like the the passing version of Paul Johnson. They were both kind of like uh, that's how I always thought of them. You know, I, my most recent episode before this one is my old high school coach, 
and he's he was talking about the the coaches that he looked up to. He said, "I really wish I would have met Leach." Yeah. So, um, but yeah. that game was versus the New Mexico Lobos. Both teams, yeah, Emerald Bowl. Uh, both teams had top top rushing offenses. So, like, that's a dream for a Navy linebacker, I think. Yeah. yeah. At least my perspective. Navy ends that year ranked number twenty four in the nation. Yeah, that's Man. pretty cool. Um, that, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, the bowl game also hit around the time that a teammate, JP Blacksmith, was killed in the Second Battle of Fallujah in the Iraq War. Yeah. You remember carrying that into that game with some extra willpower um, into it? Yeah, I, God. That was, you know, we, I think, you know, we were the last class. I think, I, I think we were the last class to sign up uh, before 9-11 hit and, uh, or one of the last classes. But, you know, so, you know, when we signed up, it was, you know, war wasn't really a in the cards like we do at least i wasn't thinking of it but um yeah that sending then the 9 11 hits and shit gets real and and uh it's exciting you say okay we're, we're training for a purpose but um it comes with with loss as well and it's very very sad yeah no doubt i, I always remember the you know blacksmith uh awards at the banquet yeah. and how and how important that was so all right <clears throat> on to, to transition you go into the seals how'd they go um fine uh let's see yeah tell us about the real buds experience first the, i guess real buds because i wanted to ask you about that yeah so okay well, i mean well none of it was hard like i like i said before um, I kept comparing everything to the first fourth quarters that we ever had, and it took about I don't know six weeks in the first phase or four or four weeks in the first phase before we did this one evolution. That uh, it was, I, um, all you do is you your fire your fire team there, and or your boat crew. Yeah, and the fire team is what four guys, right? Yeah, well. Uh, it w actually it was it was called the boat crew but i there was like four or six guys and we are we are on a log and all everybody was on a log and you're just carrying a log on your chest like 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 this that's it and you're just walking around you're going down the beach about a quarter mile over the berm which was you know i don't know 15 feet high then down the beach in the soft sand then over the berm and you did one lap and you're like, okay, I got this. No problem. And, uh, you know, I've, you know, th that after five minutes, you're good, you know, no problem. I got it. And then like seven minutes in, you're like, oh, this is, this is going to hurt a little bit. You know, and then nine minutes in, you're like, oh my God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like you're like burnt, you're on fire. And, uh, so so like 10 minutes in you just don't know how you're gonna like take the next step and then you keep going for another 
50 minutes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we, we spent over an hour doing that. And, and the whole time was just like every step you're like overcoming that. Holy shit. I didn't think I was going to make that step. And I made another one and I made another one. And, um, you just, that's what buds is. It teaches you that 90% of your limitations or more are placed on you by your own mind. And that is 100% true. Like buds is not physical. It is 100% mental. Yeah. So, so buds, that's what it's, it's, it's all mental. You know, I mean, you look at, I, I, I watched like huge overweight guys make it through that you would not think could, could make it, uh, just physically, but it, it's a hundred percent mental, all of it. Yeah. And, um, the other the other really tough so that was a tough one and i had one other experience one other evolution in buds that really pushed me that was um treading water they have an evolution where you suit up you jock up with uh tanks and a weight belt and you get in the pool when you say jock up you put all your gear on yeah 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 okay put all your gear on and you get in the pool and you start treading water. You have fins, right? So it's not a big deal. You're treading water, but your hands have to be out of the water. So as soon as your your hand goes underwater, you're disqualified. Disqualified. Right. Not just like strike well, one. No, you, you, you would fail that evolution. Okay. And then you get three chances to pass the evolution. If you don't pass it the third time, you get kicked out of the program. Gotcha. Um, but so you know and the water's different <clears throat> the water everybody deals with differently uh some guys do water evolutions no problem they'll they'll pass them all day and they never never have a problem with it some guys just flat out cannot do them and they will just fail out and then for me it just like hit me just right because I wasn't really good, but I was, you know, good enough to pass. But I remember this evolution. I'm treading water. Um, and it's just like I said before, like the first, you only have to do it for five minutes. Five minutes. That's easy, right? Or maybe it was 10. Well, you know what I'm going to do? But, I'm going to go try it at some point. <laughs> It'll probably take but, me 30 seconds, but. The, you know, the first, like, 10 seconds you're like i got this and the next 20 seconds you're like oh man this is gonna be tough and and then the next 10 seconds you don't know how you're gonna do it and you're like fighting for every breath and i just remember kicking as hard as i possibly could to make sure like i'm underwater making sure that my my hands don't go underwater and i can't breathe and it came a point where i was like okay the mind game is like at any time you could end your suffering just by just by using your hands because treading water with your hands is easy. Um, but so the mind game is like, I had to make that decision that I was going to drown first before I used my hands. So that, um, and then once you make, once you overcome something like that, that you're willing to like to do that, then everything else is uh, pretty easy. Awesome. But. So a couple, 
couple of the podcasts I listen to are, are uh, obviously Jocko, Link Baby. And, oh, yeah. You know, did you ever have any actual inter- interaction with those guys? I, I met Jocko once. Uh, he's a sure. stud. I, I heard a, a lot about him. Clint, Clint Bruce. Yep. If I, I could be wrong about this, but uh, I, I believe when Clint Bruce was an OIC officer in charge of a platoon, I think Jocko was his AOIC assistant officer in charge. Like a J- oh my gosh, I need to call Clint. I, I have a dream of getting to like do a podcast with Jocko at some point. Yeah, that would be awesome because he that would be fun. He, he had a great reputation in the teams. I, I saw one of his uh, went to one of his talks or or a debriefing. I think it was, uh, but. I had heard a lot about him, and and Clint told me about him, but uh, yeah, I think I met him once, but that was it. Um, nice. So Clint Bruce for the group is uh, another podcast episode guest that I got on here. Yes. Um, thankfully, uh, he was so gracious. He was at I think his uh, daughter's volleyball tournament or something. He went out to his truck and talked to me for a little bit. Um, also a Navy football linebacker, uh, also a SEAL. Um, and, and doing really good things today. So that was definitely a, a big milestone in my journey of doing this was to get Clint, him on here. Cause Clint helped me out a lot. Um, when, awesome. when, when he, when he found out I was trying to go seals, he reached out and, uh, we connected and he got me in touch with, with, uh, a seal that had also been a football player, uh, that was living in um, San Diego at the time and I couldn't go to mini buds, whatever, but they got me out there and I was able to, you know, do some stuff, but it, it showed good on my review board and ultimately helped get me selected. So I was eternally grateful to Clint and, uh, and Steve Holly for that. Awesome. So that's the, uh, that's the buds experience. Tell us more about the the SEAL journey for you. Um, okay. Uh, I, I did, uh, I was stationed at Team 8, and I was for, I did uh, a quick, like, three-month deployment to Baghdad um, and helped out with another team that was deployed because my team was was in in a uh, I think they were in pro dev and in just a part of the cycle that that I couldn't join up with my platoon yet so they sent yeah. me overseas and I did a so I did a three month stint there came back did a whole workup with with my platoon my first platoon and then we got deployed again to Baghdad um, for six months I ended up hurting my back. Uh, that was terrible. It was not like a, not like a wound or anything. I I slipped a disc, <laughs> um, doing something mundane, but I I actually had to sit out like a month of the first, a month or two of the first part of the deployment because I could I couldn't even walk. It was terrible. Um, but then I saw a doctor. He got me fixed up, and you know I started, you know, going on ops and and uh, cortisol shot. No, luckily, okay. luckily, I, I met the doctor that knew what to or do. Or Toradol. He got, you know, I just, 
it was amazing. I had, uh, you know, when you, I had like a, a part of my disc bulging and hitting up against the spinal cord so I could barely walk. Yeah. He said, hey, what side is it? Okay, sleep on this side. And this is like after a month of, of being in pain where I could barely walk. And then he says, well, tonight, put this pillow here and sleep on that all night. I wake up the next day. I could stand straight up. I have no pain. It was amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> when you find doctors like that, they're like, yeah. just do this thing yeah. differently and you'll be all right. Like that's, I know. So what had, had opened up my vertebrae so the, the bulge can kind of recede and get off of my spinal cord and, and it was fine. And I just couple like another few weeks to rehab and I was back at it. It was awesome. Goodness. How'd the, how'd the back injury happen? Oh Did God. You? That yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, okay. You just like fall down or something? No, I, it was the first day of deployment. I literally parked my car at the team, like where it was going to stay for the next six months. I was getting on the plane that day to go overseas. I like dropped my keys, bent it over to get them. And I went, I, I got you. Just, Hey, that's not embarrassing because sometimes, like, something will happen. I'll jerk my neck to the side too fast, and I'll be – I mean, I can walk still because it's my neck, but my neck gets stiff for the next, I don't know, couple weeks. Yeah, dude. Just from that one jerk. It's probably the bone spurs. You, you got to – getting old. You got to be tough getting old, man, because that, yeah. everything gets harder. No doubt. I'm working through it right now. So, gotcha. Anything else in that? Uh, um, no, I, I enjoyed my my time in the in the teams. Um, it was never, though, for me. Like it was never going to be like the book of my life. Like I got so much respect for those guys that just stay in and do it, and are just like the ultimate warriors. Man, they just they live and breathe and eat it. Like that's all they want to do is be like the consummate warrior. And I got so much respect for that. That just wasn't in my mind at the time. Any, so, any standouts that you had on that team? You don't have to mention any names, but about a person and what made them good at what they did there. You know, the, the teams, it, you know, it's just like, it's just like Navy football. It's like a brotherhood of a bunch of freaking guys that are not incredible athletes. They're just dudes that won't quit for nothing. They're all competitors. Yeah. And the ones that made it through the swim test. Yeah. Right. Um, the, and that's, they're just guys just like, like Navy linebackers, man. They, they just overachieving, hardworking guys, that tough dudes. Um, it was great. I got, I, one of, a lot of guys, uh, and the teams come from like played football, but I was actually making this point today to some, one of my, my kids on my team, on my high school team was thinking about going, going D3. And I'm, and I was telling them, D, playing D3 is awesome because you're on, you're not playing with the studs that get a scholarship because you know, all the talent in the world, you're playing with the dudes that just love football and love to yeah. work and, and will do anything to get on the field. Like that's the dudes yeah. you want to play with, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. what level. 
That makes me think of the quarterback that kicked our ass uh, my sophomore year, I think, or Joe Flacco. Oh, Del Delaware. Yeah. Oh my gosh! First game of the year, supposed to be. I'm not going to say a cakewalk because you're not. That, the mentality going into that is nothing's a cakewalk, right? But the first game is kind of like a confidence builder. You play a Division two team, and the expectation is you come out on top, you're ready for the second game, get the momentum going. And he just kicked our ass. And he had a team. And those were some of the toughest offensive linemen. Them in Pittsburgh, for me, um, that I ever played against. Those offensive linemen yeah. wanted it. They were just nasty. Um, yeah, man. I We, we lost to Delaware, too, uh, my junior year. And then our senior year, we got payback and we beat them up. But um, Well, you remembered it. Yeah, I remembered it. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, the team uh, going back. The teams are full of guys like that, um, and and one of the best operators I ever knew was in that first platoon. Um, he played at Amherst, and he he was a badass. He ended up actually going to Dev Group and becoming like Sailor of the Year, which is like basically the baddest freaking seal on earth. On, on yeah. earth. <laughs> nice. So um, yeah. Um, I got yeah, actually there's a there's a cool story where where my seal brotherhood kind of intertwines with with the navy brotherhood um my that first platoon I walk in I don't know this this is going to go long but it's a great story um yeah hey we can cut it up into two different parts if we need to all right uh so I walk in the, my first platoon and I meet this E5 there great dude Abe Trindle is his name and he, he he it's his third platoon my first platoon he just teaching me the ropes really takes me under his wing to try to like you know teach a, a junior officer and uh he was going to see him an admiral program we get to baghdad and he get he find out he gets approved for a seaman admiral package i'm like oh that's awesome abe oh, what does oh. that mean Seaman Admiral, that's just uh, one of the avenues where an enlisted man becomes an officer. Okay, got it. So um, he he finds out, and we're in Baghdad, and he goes to me, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm like, yeah. So he's like, well, I'm going to walk on wherever we're going. Wherever I go, I'm going to walk on. I said, okay, let's start training. What are we waiting for? So we we were in baghdad our op tempo was you know you go out at night so we had all day and we were putting ourselves through two days i was teaching them all the olympic lifts you know and we're out there on the tarmac and biop just freaking doing wind sprints twice a day we we really got after it and uh so he training for for him to be able to walk onto a team so when he goes to hit to ois which is the oysters like you went you went to naps right so oysters yep. is like right across the the way from, from naps and it, it just happens to be football season he's like hey i'm at naps i'm like wait a second i lackawanna i i played with uh i played with the coach there so mickey okaitis was coaching oh okay 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 so so i said so let me call mick and and we got him on the team there at naps 
And, uh, you know, he wasn't like a division one athlete, but you know, he's freaking, he's one of the guys, he's going to work his ass off, tough. tough dude. You know, he just fit right in. Right. So they all loved him. Uh, and you know, then after that season, he gets accepted to Purdue and, uh, Mick being the stand-up guy that he is, he calls the coach Purdue, gets him on the team. So, just, I mean, gets him on the team, but just, you know, says, hey, this is this is the kind of guy that's coming over your program. This is what he's all about. You know, this is the kind of guy you want, you know. Yeah, make sure to take a look at this one. Yep. Yeah, he's not going to start for you, but he's going to be. Make guy. everybody else better. Yeah, and and he ha- ended up having a great career at Purdue, playing on special teams. And uh, very, so now, now he's freaking lieutenant commander, uh, troop commander, teammate. Oh, goodness. So. Uh, that's pretty awesome. cool the way that, that the two brotherhoods combine there. No doubt, man, that's a good story. So like, that's the, that's the type of stuff I'm looking for in these, in these episodes. Once I got out of the teams, I came back home to Miami, uh, went to work for the family business, uh, which, you know, uh, have been, been in business for now over a hundred years. Um, we're we're still a a, a small company. Um, what do you but, do? So. Well, the 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 company that really put us on the map was uh, U.S. Foundry, and uh, so we are a, a municipal foundry. So we made um, manhole covers that we pour we melted and poured iron, and we poured it into cast you know molds that that made municipal castings that are that you'll see on the street right mainly manhole covers sewage grates and drains and stuff like that when you told me that i was thinking okay lane must know some folks in the dod that need to you know put out some budget dollars and do some infrastructure work like does that work uh we have a very very small portion of our business that like monitoring the DOD sites. Um, gotcha. So not a primary consumer right. of what you make now. Right. Uh, now, actually, we ended up selling, a, uh, I think it was in 21, we sold the foundry um, to to Nina Foundry. And, and we'll, we had become like, I would say the third largest municipal foundry in in the country so um we're we're pretty big and covered most of the united uh southeast united states and from that company we had spawned out other companies so four other companies um and since then since when i got out in 2011 since then we started consolidating and now we're just uh, one company um, now we are USF fabrication. So we sold the foundry. We actually ended up selling it to, uh, Nina foundry. And then who bought Nina foundry was Charlotte pipe and foundry, which, uh, TJ Costello, my best friend in the world, he works for Charlotte pipe. So, um, it's kind of a small little world there, but so now he is based, and he's an officer of that company. So he's basically like working, owns the the foundry that that my grandfather started like a hundred years ago. <laughs> nice, that's fun. Um, the network is 
Man, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so now I'm working at USF Fabrication. have been here for the last six years. Uh, going through different roles, I worked my way up from from bottom line supervisor. That's uh, now I'm at manager level, but uh, I love it. Um, Why do you love it? I number one because I'm working for myself. I feel like I, I feel like that is uh, an opportunity that has been given to me. I'm fortunate enough to be handed that opportunity by my my family. Um, so when you're working for yourself, you, you, there's no qualms about putting everything in, right? And, um, even to my detriment at, at sometimes I, I put too much in, but, um, it, it's, it's a lot better than working for somebody else. And, um, but what, what it allows you to do is put your passion into it. And you put once you when you put everything in, and then people around you see that passion, and then all of a sudden you got a whole team of passionate people about your business, and, and it's incredible. Like, yeah, um, I some of my employees they care just as much as me, and it's really a a beautiful yeah, wow. thing. It's a beautiful thing, um, and uh, but. You know, coming to work every day, it, it's a, it's fun. I, and actually, what I do right now, um, I'm a, pro- a project manager, which I I chose to be. I actually pulled myself out of another job that was higher up, but I I actually what, rather what was that rather other job? This job, plant manager. Okay. Um, pulled myself off off of that because I I just had so much more fun doing working on continuous improvement projects and planning that's kind of like what i do i I plan i take things that are out of order i put them in um i organize and and uh you know continuous improvement is the name of the game that's the only reason why you stay in business for over 100 years you have to constantly change uh so that's basically my job is to uh you know create change and bring us closer to the ideal state yep i'm gonna i'm gonna try something new here all right so i recently watched this podcast with andrew huberman and yeah. a guy named david goggins <laughs> yeah so you, you know that guy yeah i read his book nice. it, it took about 50 people telling me to read it before i finally read it yeah so i've never been like a huge um goggins fan like i'd see his thing stay hard and all that kind of stuff i'm like okay yeah i get that um but when he had this um he did a podcast with huberman and i saw it i didn't listen to it and one day i got bored and i was like okay i'll listen to this one so good really i uh so this is my my new trick here is trying to figure out how to share screen and share some of this stuff. And um, let's let's try it out real quick. So all I thought about when I was growing up is, man, I can't wait to one day get to the point where I no longer have to do this stuff. But what happens, I got older 
it became a way of living. So how I do every day is how I do every day. It's a, it's a discipline, it's a regimen, it's a, it's a, it was a choice I made. And the choice I made was, what are you willing to sacrifice and what are you willing to give up to find every bit of who you are as a human being? And I was willing to give everything to do that. It looks like a man being stuck in a fucking dungeon and there's no fucking way out. But you had the fucking key but you refuse to use it. And that's nothing motivating about that. So yes, no documentary on David Goggins. All right. <laughs> and, uh, that is, I don't know if it's gonna, I don't know if it's gonna tie in. Yeah, okay, good. I, I, I didn't, again, I didn't hear it, but I could read it, but isn't that the truth? Yeah. I, I, uh, Man, just just a side note on David Goggins. I'm I love that quote there. I'm not wasn't really huge on his motivational stuff, but man, what a tough dude that guy was. Is oh man, what think, what do you know about him? Just just what I read. That's it. Just just okay. from the book. Um, but just knowing how tough some of those things are that he did, because that you know I was closer to them, and I, I'm you know like what he pulled off there in that uh uh when he was trying out for delta and he broke that course record i mean that course record was set by some studs like world-class athletes and he crushed it for like an hour or something something crazy um that dude is one of the toughest dudes on the planet 100 percent. i don't think i would ever get along with him <laughs> just but um and I'm not like one much for like all the motivational quotes, but I got to give it to him, man. That he is, he is something. Nice. I, uh, I got one more I want to share before we, you know, close this thing out. Um, and it's based in neuroscience, how the brain works and all these things that we're talking about getting tough, getting out of your comfort zone, going that extra mile, all that, all those types of things. Huberman puts in perspective really well. And I also thought that was really good for me personally to kind of understand how, um, how things work. So, um, I'll go ahead and play that one right now. Okay. I'm going to share a little neuroscience tidbit, Love it. but I think it's one that you'll appreciate. Um, most people don't know this, but there's a brain structure called the anterior mid-cingulate cortex. As we pointed out before, that's a noun. It's a name. It doesn't mean anything. Right. We could call it the, the cookie monster. Right. But what's interesting about this brain area is there are now a lot of data mm -hmm. in humans, not some mouse study, showing that when people do something they don't want to do, mm -hmm. like add three hours of exercise per day or per week, or when people who are trying to diet and lose weight resist eating something. Right. When people do anything that they, and this is the important part, that they don't want to do. Right. It's not about adding more work. It's about adding more work that you don't want to do. Yes. This brain area gets bigger. Yep. Now, here's what's especially interesting about this brain area to me. And by the way, I'm only learning this recently mm -hmm. because it's new data, but there's a lot of it. The anterior mid-cingulate cortex is smaller in obese people. Mm -hmm. 
It gets bigger when they diet. Mm -hmm. It's larger in athletes. Mm -hmm. It's especially large or grows larger in people that see themselves as challenged and overcome some challenge. Right. And in people that live a very long time, mm -hmm. this area keeps its size. Mm -hmm. In many ways, scientists are starting to think of the anterior mid-cingulate cortex not just as one of the seats of willpower, right. but perhaps actually the seat of the will to live. See, now we're talking. And when I learned about the anterior mid-cingulate cortex, I was like almost out of my seat. And I've been in the neuroscience game since I was 20. Now we're the we're same talking. age. And I was so pumped because I've heard of the amygdala, fear, prefrontal cortex, it's planning and action. I could tell you every brain area and every, I teach neuroanatomy to medical students. But when I started seeing the data on the anterior mid-cingulate cortex, I was like, whoa, this is interesting. Yep. And all the data point to the fact that we can build this area up, yep. but that as quickly as we build it up, if we don't continue to invest in things that are hard for us, that we don't want to do, that's the part that feels so Goggin-esque Yes, sir. to me that we don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Like if you love the ice bath, yeah, I love the ice bath. You go from one minute to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Your anterior mid-cingulate cortex did not grow. None. But if you hate the cold water, mm -hmm. if you're afraid of drowning mm -hmm. and you get into water and put your head under, yep. then your anterior mid and survive, then the anterior mid-cingulate cortex gets bigger. But if you don't do it the next day, or if you do it the next day and you enjoy it, because mm -hmm. hey, hey, I did it yesterday. Woohoo. Happy me. Merry Christmas, as That's you right. would say. Merry Christmas. Guess what? The anterior mid-cingulate cortex shrinks again. Yep. To me, this is one of the most important discoveries that neuroscience has ever made. Mm -hmm. Because it's that I don't want to do something, but do it anyway. That's right. That grows this area. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I have a friend. He's been sober 30 years from alcohol. Mm -hmm. And he always says, you know, the amazing thing about addiction is there's a cure. The problem is it only works one day at a time. Yep. And so you have to renew it every day. That's right. So the anterior mid-cingulate cortex, to me, when I learned about it, two, two things went off in my head. Whoa, this is super interesting. And two, I got to tell David Goggins about this. And I waited until I'm now glad. to tell you because I felt like, I well, for obvious reasons, I wanted to tell you and I wanted to tell you here. Well, I love that because that's how I've lived my entire life. I don't know anything about that. But people go, man, you have such a strong will. It's something that you build. Like, I never forget, I was on a podcast one time and this dude goes, you were blessed with a strong mind. Like, the hell are you talking about? I was blessed with a strong mind. You, that's something that you have to develop. You develop that over years, decades of suffering and going back into the suffer. That's why a lot of people who graduate Navy SEAL training they were no, like, in my, I talk about it very openly all the time. A lot of guys don't go, don't, don't want to go back into that water. Don't want to go back into the hard stuff. Maybe not anything, anything hard, anything hard in life. Once you get through it, it's like you become a POW. Like how many POWs, you know, want to go back to POW camp? None. When something sucks so bad in life, this is on this that we're talking about now. Very few people want to go back. They're happy they graduated. I realized I'm the same way. I don't want to go back. 
I have to go back. I must go back because that is exactly where all the knowledge of my life exists was back there and what you're exactly what you're talking about. Well, I, I didn't know anything about this, but how I grew a will was constantly doing these things to now, it's just life. I wake up while it still sucks, it's just life. You don't sit back and like, oh my God, like I have days I don't wanna do it, but I know I'm gonna do it. I know from years of just doing it. So I, that, that's, that's beautiful. And this is why I came on here with you today. And I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about this because human beings need to hear this. They need to stop hearing these hacks on this and that. There's no fucking hack, bro. There's no fucking hack. Yeah, you may this and that and saunas and, this, and all this shit that they, yeah, it's great. There is no fucking life hack. To grow that thing, how do you grow it? Do it and do it and do it and do it. That's the hack. The hack is gonna fucking suck. And that's what I realized. That's what I realized. Life, th that's why I wanted to come on here today. I didn't wanna come on here and talk about no fucking passion and purpose and how to get the fuck out of bed and how to hit a fucking alarm clock and all this catchphrase bullshit. Because that wasn't how I lived. That wasn't how I lived. I lived, I woke up like every human being does and goes, fuck, man, I'm a fucking piece of shit today. How the hell is this going to work out for me? And you fight that. And you fight that. You don't override it. There's no override button. It's the conversation in your fucking, like, in your head. So how do you do that? We don't have enough of these conversations about the real conversation that every human being is having. And they have no idea how to get out of it, but they do. It's that shit right there, man. You got to build your will. How do you build your will? Exactly what you said, man. Exactly what you said. Well, I feel like knowing the name of something, anterior mid-cingulate cortex, doesn't fundamentally change us. But one thing I like about biology mm -hmm. is that willpower, if somebody feels they don't have it, right. feels like this thing that other people have. But everybody, unless they're brain damaged, like a hole right. through their head, has two anterior mid-cingulate cortex, one on each side of their brain. Everyone has one. Mm -hmm. They have two. So I feel like it's just a question of opening the portal. And the portal, what I, again, I'm going to say 10 times and forgive me, is I think people go, oh, I do hard things. I do sets to failure and then I do forced reps. I love training with weights. Mm -hmm. I love doing sets to failure. I even like forced reps. But guess what? I like forced reps. So I could, I'll tell you, they don't build my anterior mid-cingulate cortex. Right. Uh, no, I mean, I didn't, I couldn't hear it, gotcha. but all right, I'll send you the video. You want to sum it up for me? I don't know. Um, it's around doing hard things. And every time you do something hard, um, it grows this space in your brain, um, in a positive way versus mm taking the easy way out so you'll i'll send it to you it's man i wish you could have heard it well i i'll i'll look it up I, I i follow huberman i don't listen to every one of his but i could look it up well i'll send you the short so you can get the okay the general gist of where i was going with this because i think your story matches it and that's why i pulled it up so 
anyways, um, when you moved from the military into what you're doing now, were there any good transition learnings? Um, or, you know, something that you remember during that transition time? I, well, I remember it, you know, in the military, we go to, through so much training to, on how, how to lead, you know, and, and you go to, and it's great. And you learn the basics, but I kind of, what I got from it, maybe I was overly impressionable, but <clears throat> I felt like I had to follow a very strict line on to, to, to be the perfect leader. And, and I wasn't good at it. I didn't think at least in the service, I wasn't, you know, on the, on the football field, it was different, but what, well, why do you think that though? That's a good question. Um, if I just to take a stab at it right now, I guess I would say because I just I cared more about others than maybe football. Like I played for my brothers, and um, going through SEAL training, like. You, you know, you go through, you create a bond in, with everybody and everything and, and through the stuff that you go through, but you're comparing like six months of, of buds versus like four or five years, right? I, I just, I didn't have that much of a connection, I guess, with all the team members, like I, like I said, like I would at at uh at navy football right so maybe it was that i i just was too self-involved um it was definitely a learning experience um i just i i was also caught up on trying to lead going back to what i was saying before i was caught up on trying to lead a certain way and transitioning out of the service I felt that freedom where, you know what? I know how to lead, but I could do it my way. Sure, well. And, um, and I really fell into my own skin, so to speak, and felt that I was actually, you know, a better leader as a civilian than, than I was in, in the service because I was just doing it the way I would have felt natural to me. Um, and, that, so growing into that and kind of stepping out of you know the, the chain of command like the chain of command and and, and actually I just hired a, a a prior service member and he I'm trying to like get him to calm down and trying to say you know listen work with people instead of just telling them what to do <laughs> because he he's like where do I I fall in the hierarchy and I'm like no here now you you got to make things work no yeah. matter where you are in the hierarchy. It's a level playing field here. Yeah. Like you have to be able to influence lead by example, fighter leader, all those, all those things. And yeah. Let time catch on to that. You've right? got to be able to get 
people to do things because they want to do them, uh, not because you say they have to do them, right? Uh, it's it's it almost provides a crutch in the military because orders are orders and you do what you're told, and and it needs to be that way, and especially in the crunch time of war. You cannot have some anybody second guessing a, a command decision. It has to be that way, um, but. In the civilian world, adjusting to that more collaborative working environment, that took an adjustment period. And uh, but I, I by now I've I think I got a good handle on it. I, I really enjoy the way uh, you know our team works together now. It's fun. Good stuff. Um, do you have a favorite mentor or? best couple mentors that stand out to you? I'm bad at that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, my mentor is, is TJ Costello. Uh, if I, if I have a problem that I can't figure out, I go to him. He is him and my wife, <laughs> but, um, that man is incredibly, incredibly impressive what he has done uh i can't even begin to try to describe what he's been able to accomplish in in his civilian life like what what he does on the day-to-day like blows me away um just working multiple jobs at one point uh while getting his master's um and then rising to the top of a very, very good company um, in, in such a short time, it, it's what he's done is incredible. And uh, the way he's carried his family throughout of all of it at the same time, it's just, he blows me away. So if anybody's my mentor, it's, it's just my best friend. That's who I go to. That's who I look to for leadership and I, I, I still I talk to him about once a week. At least need to get need to get TJ on here soon. Yeah, that's what yeah. It sounds like. Um, two more questions. Um, first one is, what's the current struggle that you're working through today, or as of recent? Um, you know, I I just got through one of the bigger struggles of my life and I to be honest I was on the fence about sharing this uh it's not it's not something I enjoy talking about but I was thinking about it and I was like well if if what I say can help somebody a brother then there's an off slight chance that uh some uh, some other brother of mine is going through the same thing and what I say might help then I, then what the hell but I just went through a pretty serious depression. Um, nothing crazy. I never felt like off in myself, so it wasn't wasn't that bad. But to me, it was you know I went to places that I didn't know existed. You know what I mean? And uh, it's kind of tedious talking about it because I I used to hear people talk about it and not really understand because but once you go through it something like that and you're taken to places that you didn't know existed it becomes re- real it, it gets real and uh 
I was there for, for far too long, I think. And I guess my, my point in saying this and even bringing it up would be if anybody out there is feeling that, don't let it go that far. Because uh, I guess I think, you know, a lot of us, not I think I know uh, from talking to a lot of us in the brotherhood that we are like susceptible, I think just from the lifestyles that we lived before and transitioning um, into, it's it's a huge change. I mean, you have to think about it. We, we ran off of pure testosterone and adrenaline for how many years, right? Like all the way, you know, high school, you're on testosterone. That gets you through. Uh, uh, college same and then then you go into the service and it's adrenaline like you it's go 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 high speed and uh that's what you learn to live with and um you then you get out and you get a new job and bam high speed i'm hitting it hard and uh it's still it's still going but there comes a time where things start settling down and yeah after the age of 30 your whole testosterone thing drops off like it, it hits everybody different percent. Yeah. at different times, but um, it, it, I think it's probably just just from the lifestyles that, that we have led, I think it's probably more prevalent than, than we, we want to admit in the brotherhood. Um, I know from talking to some people, but um, I guess don't don't do what i did like like just wait until it got so bad that it was affecting your family and and just i didn't start getting the help i needed until i reached out so just reach out and and get the help that you need i mean we're all here and everybody's got loved ones the thing is that i learned is that we're all flawed right there's not a single one of us that don't have a weakness or are flawed so i sure will and so we all know that we all have got flaws so that's why we're all so willing to help because we we know that we could be there too um i was very ashamed of it because i was of the mind that you know i wasn't like super sick where i had like i didn't feel like i was like a victim of a chemical imbalance i really believe that I put myself there through my actions or inactions, my thought patterns, which had degraded over the years. And I mean, thoughts are so powerful. Um, they yep. are, they are what thoughts are everything, right? So they, they make the world around you. So I had, uh, I truly believe that my own thought patterns, my had, degraded to to where i was thinking about things differently and that ultimately put me where i was so i was uh, determined to get out of it if i put myself here i can get myself out so i kind of once i got to that point where i was i had i had to make changes um 
let's see, I, I, ref, you know, I did a number of stuff, but I refused to take any medication, right? Because, you know, medication didn't get me here. So, I, I put together a regimen just like that. Uh, that thing that Goggins was saying, like I had the key the whole time, right? But I wasn't using it yep. to get to get out of that dungeon. Um, and whatever you know what i was stuck on for so long this 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 is my my depression probably lasted about from beginning to end probably about 2 years it wasn't really bad the whole time but it was uh, in a nutshell it was probably about 2 years but the first the first like months of it 6 months maybe i was stuck trying to figure out what was happening Right, because I have like an engineer's mind. Like, if I only I could understand what's going on and what got me here, then I could fix it. But it took months for me to realize that I'm never gonna understand it. Like, it was too complex. There's too many yeah. things, too many variables. But what kept me down there was the inaction of trying to figure it out. Like, I, you know, I, I thought about it and thought about it and did these retreats and did all this stuff and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. But the, the point was it didn't freaking matter. I just needed to put my foot down and get back to the tried and true that got me to where I was, you know, and, and pick up those things that I had dropped basic things. Um, get more sleep was a big one. Uh, sure. start working out again, you know, like, I started reading, studying, doing all this stuff, taking supplements, not medication, supplements. Um, AG1. Yeah, AG1. I haven't, I, I'm thinking about doing that. It's pretty expensive. Dude, do it. I've been doing it for maybe six months. Oh, so good. But, I mean, anyway, um, don't get, I guess my message is the same that Gaga's just said there. Don't get stuck on the why. Just take action. The inaction is what keeps you there. And I wish I had figured that out earlier. I would have been done with done with that mess a lot sooner. But as soon as I got back to my regimen and forced myself to do things I didn't want to do, because when you're, when you're depressed, you don't want to do nothing. Like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. You no. Help yourself. You don't want to talk to people. You, you like... Um, but anyway, I quit drinking for a year. I, I just enforced and with the discipline that I knew I had in me, I just made myself go back and do these things that I knew would help me re regardless of why I got there. Right. So, and you know, forced myself, I had taken coaching off for a couple of years, forced myself back to coaching and getting those you know interactions back and you know all the all the stuff but um ultimately it all comes down to like i started retraining my mind how to think about things i was thinking about things all the wrong way i was focused on what i didn't have instead of what i had that kind of stuff you know so yeah i had to you know retrain myself and to climb out of that hole and uh, yeah no no doubt i got a a similar story um, 
you know, definitely just went through a similar type of deal. Um, lost a job. Um, you know, I think after losing that job, as Cameron said, um, in one of the earlier episodes is like, you tie up your identity too much and that, yeah. And, and that, willpower and that fight and all that stuff if it doesn't work out it's like what the heck am i gonna it's not working anymore right now right mm -hmm. um did lots of soul searching i actually went to after i got let go i was searching for a new job and uh i told my wife about it prior to me actually losing the job i was like hey i'd like to go to this pack expo manufacturing and uh went to vegas uh it was a good time um probably drank a little too much during that event but uh while i was networking right after losing the job i was like man and i kind of put my foot down with that and uh, mm -hmm. a couple days later i get this call from a recruiter and in my homework, I did all the recruiter things that I was supposed to do, especially in food and beverage. And uh, I get this call. He's like, hey, let me take a look. Two days later, uh, I get a call back. He's like, hey, there's th th this company likes your resume. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's go do the interview. All right. And uh, that's where I'm today. And it was a hundred percent God sent, like perfect fit, perfect match, um, slower pace. And it's just been so good. So excellent. I just, I just think everything happens for a reason. And, um, I also think looking internal, doing that search, um, doing the, the homework, doing the preparation um, is what it takes. And it's so easy to get caught up in some of the, well, I don't have that minutia, that it's very easy to lose sight of maintaining the values of where you come from. And uh, I think that's the exact same thing you were just talking about yeah and coaching those teams uh the real the real joy is in seeing those teams that you coach succeed and that's super powerful not just because of the business not just because of the team but just for yourself so absolutely I, you know i actually i just listened to a, a ted talk this morning um and it was about this uh harvard study where they studied, uh, it's like one of the longest known studies ever. They studied like 700 guys from back in like pre-World War II for like 75 years. And they, all they did was look at their their life. They just recorded their whole life. And one of the takeaways was that, you know, that some out of 700 guys, you had a myriad of, you know, things, uh, people, one of them claimed to be a president, one of them, you know, a lot of, you know, went the opposite way and they just tracked their lives. But what the common 
thread was the happiness of everybody or the thread that tied all the happy people together at the end of their lives was their relationships. And okay. So what I equate that to is my experience, right? I kind of, and a big thing that I've always said is you got to be part of something bigger than yourself. Right. And that's what a relationship is, right? You're, you are, it's bigger than you. It's even if it's one person, you, right? It's bigger than you are. And then when you're part of a team, it's even bigger. So, but that feeling of, of being a part of something bigger than you are, that, that, that's the essence of life, right? I mean, that's like, well, that's why we're here. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, but no, it's good now stuff. I'm all philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got one more of those for you before I ask you the final question. And I, I can't remember where I came across this, but from a, a lady named Emma Cameron, she said, don't try to fight your inner critic. Uh, says the integrative uh, psychologist Emma Cameron, when you try to tame silence or master it, you just may make it stronger. Instead, try thinking in terms of befriending it, guiding it, calming it, and gently transforming it to find out more in your inner critic. So that one was a good one for me personally. Is like, hey, don't forget all those things, but tame it um focus it and make it work where wherever you are today so that's that whole it's okay to look back don't stare but at the same time don't forget because that's what got you where you're at today hone it in a little bit more and uh unleash the power in the right way so absolutely yeah so Last question. What's your price of admission? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that. Um, and uh, I was coming up blank. And I and I figured it out. I think I figured it out. <laughs> um, yeah. he, here's... He, I The answer is... The answer is like nothing. Like I really feel like I didn't pay a thing. I know that's kind of flipping the script on you, but when when I think about the word price, right? I think of something that I pay or give up in return for something of comparable value or hopefully greater value, right? But what I what I got from the brotherhood being accepted to that to me it felt like all gain. Like that, what am I going to tell? You? Yeah, there was pain, there was difficulty, there was suffering, um, there's blood, sweat, and tears. Absolutely, but how are you going to weigh that against 
the experience of being and, and being a part of of the brotherhood you know how, how does that compare it's a pittance everything i feel like everything that we went through i would do it over again a thousand times over for that experience of playing with those brothers of of laying it all on the line for them and them doing the same for you for loving them and being loved by them um how how can i how can i that's immeasurable nobody can ever take that away from me that is worth more to me than anything any payment so it's priceless it's it's immeasurable so how do i how do i put a price on it that's how much it means to me um so that's so i i don't know there was pain there was suffering there was hard work sure but you know it's the grind you can't cheat the grind right it it knows it knows how much you've worked and it's only going to give you what you've earned but that's all that's you know that's nothing worth you know that's like the saying right nothing worth having comes easy it's because the, it being hard is what gives it value so and it this experience has been incredibly valuable to me um I there's no price I wouldn't pay. Awesome. Well man, um thanks for getting on. Thanks um, for having me. Uh so good. Um you've definitely enlightened my spirit tonight. Like every time I do one of these I just get a little bit more energy, you know. So um thanks for that. I want to say um Thank your wife tonight for giving the time that <laughs> that uh, that you spent and um, yeah, really good talk, man. It's yeah, good. absolutely. Probably went a little long, but we'll, hey. we'll edit it out and make it shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much.